Good morning. So nice to have a full church. So nice to see all of you. And what a beautiful day for our parish celebration. Uh, as I look out to you, I, I can't help but think about Pentecost, the day of Pentecost, where the disciples, the apostles, about 120 people were in that upper room or where they had the, the Passover meal. And then all of a sudden there was a rushing wind. And then the, the flames of God's power and his might, his spirit came upon his people. And they began to speak in all sorts of different languages proclaiming the good news. It was an amazing scene, but it reminds me of this. All of us jammed together, worshiping our Lord and celebrating his goodness. So thank you very much for this great send-off. Thank you, Betty Hill, who has put on the celebration afterward. I hope many of you can stay and join us. Just so you know, there'll be a bunch of games outside, bags, and all sorts of different things. So please stay and enjoy yourself. I am really excited to go on sabbatical. I will be there for, uh, for this whole summer. And I'm going to Israel for five weeks, and it's going to be an amazing experience. So if you have any particular intentions, things you want me to pray for, send them to Sherry or email them to me. And then when I'm at that site, whatever you want me to pray for, I will, I will pray for it. So if you have a special place in the Bible and the scriptures, I will remember you and your intentions. So please send them our, our way. We celebrate today the, the ascension of our Lord, and we are in the Easter season. So after the death of Jesus, three days later, he rose from the dead. And for 40 days, he appeared to his apostles and his disciples. He said many things to them. He was teaching them, filling them with hope and excitement for the next stage. And he told them that he would be with them. But on the 40th day, a special event takes place, the ascension. There they are on the Mount of Olives. And all of a sudden, the Lord starts to ascend into heaven. And as everyone has their eyes fixed on the Lord, he disappears and then there's two angels who say, what are you looking at so intently? What are you staring at? Just as Jesus ascended in glory, he will come back again. Don't you worry. To give you a little context of the scene, there's a number of you who've been to Jerusalem. It's, it's a wonderful place to be. Jerusalem is on a hilltop, and it's surrounded by valleys. And across from J Jerusalem to the east is the Mount of Olives. And this is a very important mount. The Mount of Olives is where David fled from Absalom when he was in flight from there. Um, this was the, also the location at the foot of the Mount of Olives that Jesus was in his agony before his death on the cross. So there he was in agony. It was said that in the scriptures that when he was sweating, he was sweating droplets of blood. He was arrested there, and then he was brought down the Kidron Valley and up into his prison in Jerusalem. So the church is there in the, the hills of the Mount of Olives. Where I'll be living is three miles south of Jerusalem. I'll be on a mountain overlooking Bethlehem, and every day I hope to go for a jog, maybe to Jerusalem and back uh, for some exercise. So to give you that idea, is Jesus and the whole church at his ascension is looking towards Jerusalem, and that's when he ascends into heaven. Now, I imagine that all of the apostles, all the disciples were thinking to themselves how how they won't see him again, and for a long time possibly. And he told them that he'd be back, the angels told him that he'd be back, but there's a sense of finality that the physical animated body of Jesus, the one that they would embrace, the one they would hang out with, the one they would follow on their journeys, he wasn't going to be there with them again. And, and they were probably thinking, even though there's a sadness in their heart, he makes statements like, I'm not going to leave you orphans. I'm going to be with you. You are in me, and I am in you. And they also were probably thinking and reflecting on how there's this paraclete, this consoler, the spirit that was going to come to them. They didn't understand exactly what that meant. But then 10 days later, 
as I mentioned, in the upper room where they had the, the Last Supper. The Holy Spirit comes. So the question I think we need to ask ourselves is, why did Jesus ascend into heaven? Why did he do that? And the answer has a lot to do with the fact that he wants us to experience his presence all the more. Because if Jesus was in Galilee, if you wanted to see Jesus, you had to go to Galilee. If Jesus was in Jerusalem, if you wanted to see Jesus, you had to be in Jerusalem. So now, for us as a church that's all around the world, he needed to come to us in a new way, a new mode. And so at Pentecost, now the Spirit of God, the very substance of God, would dwell within our bodies and within our souls. And so on objective level, God's presence, the creator of the universe, the Lord of Lords, King of Kings, is within us, which is an amazing mystery that we believe in. But that also, on a subjective level, the purpose of the Holy Spirit, for him coming, is to activate within us the gift of faith. The operating definition of faith that we've been going on has been, faith is the capacity, the ability, to recognize the presence of Jesus in our midst. Faith is this capacity that can grow, the capacity to recognize Christ's presence. And the way that we recognize him on a very personal, subjective level is that when the Spirit of God interacts with our spirit, it causes a reaction. It gives us a spirit of joy, hope, expectation. When it interacts with our bodies, sometimes for some people when they're praying, they may have so much peace in their prayer that they fall asleep. Some people start to feel warm or electricity. The Holy Spirit also interacts with our minds. He infuses knowledge within our, our intellect. He inspires us with beautiful things, dreams, and ideas of what God is calling us to do. We also can recognize God in the world around us. You might look back on the last 20, 30 years of your life and you see how pieces come together. That you were so wanting to go in a certain direction, but it kept having obstacles and they were forced to go in a different direction. And because you did that, new blessings and graces occurred. Maybe you met your wife or your husband or somebody in your life. So the Lord puts into place this providential care and plan and we can see that's a part of recognizing his presence. And then also, finally, seeing him answer our prayers in just beautiful ways, you know, the ways that he, he alone does. These are ways that, on a very subjective level, we experience the presence of our Lord. So even though he has ascended, the Spirit of God comes so that we can interact with his very substance of God, with the very presence of God, everywhere in the world. Wherever there's a Christian, there is God. Not in our imagination, but his very presence is within each one of us. You probably heard me talk about a lot how we believe in a theology of presence. And what we believe dictates where we're going to go. I remember, and this is kind of sad, I, I remember distinctly when I was in high school, I had this friend, and he, it was, we were about 16 or 17 years old, and he had kind of a rough past, and he made this comment to me that I'll never forget. He said, you know, Tony, I don't, I don't think marriage works. I don't think it's worth going into. I think it just causes a bunch of heartache, and... Uh, I have no plans of ever becoming married. And I, don't, I didn't respond to that. I just was thinking, though. I was thinking about my parents and how they have shown me a beautiful marriage. I was thinking about the people they brought into my life. We have a very active household. And so we'd have these older couples coming in, and they had beautiful marriages. And I thought, that doesn't match up with, with the reality that I know and have experienced. And um, what's interesting is what we believe directs where we go. And so that affected how he entered in his relationships. I mean, I just watched him through high school, how he interacted with girls and stuff like that. And because of what I believed, that I believe that it's possible to have uh, lasting relationships of love, it affected the way that I interacted with women and young ladies. Um, well, it, it would have if I wasn't so scared of women. So <laughs> when I was 17, I'd be sitting next to a girl and I'd be filled with sweat and, you know, 
always had a piece of gum in my pocket just in case, you know. <laughs> so, so what we believe directs where we are going. Okay. Many times, oftentimes, we can hold on to assumptions about God that then affects us experiencing his presence. And uh, so here's an example of a theology of absence. A theology of absence means, generally speaking, by default, God only shows up once in a while, you know, when it hits the fan and when we really, really need him. That's, that's all the time he shows up. So a theology of absence would say, a person might say, you know, um, I can't pray for my son's t-ball game because God is worrying about Syria. He's dealing with Ebola. He's dealing with all sorts of different problems in the world. Uh, he is not concerned that my son has a great day on his first day of t-ball. That's a theology of absence. A theology of absence would be, I cannot take the risk in sharing my faith story. Our faith story is how Jesus Christ has made our life better and happier. I can't take the risk. I know it takes practice. I know I'm not really good at that skill. And I can't take the risk because when I make a mistake, because I know I will, he won't be there to catch me. He won't be there to catch me when I fail. I, I, I can't ask the Lord to talk to me because, well, he doesn't like talking to me and he's not around. I can't ask the Lord to, to help me to look at my baggage, my wounds of the past, because if I, if I try to look at the wounds of my past, my greatest fear will be realized. I'll be suffering in the dark all alone by myself. I can't kick up a notch my spiritual life because if I do, nothing really is going to happen. These are examples of a theology of, of absence. A theology of presence would say, Jesus loves every element of my life. There's no prayer that's too small, and so I'm going to talk to him. The Lord will speak to me. Now, maybe I have to learn his language. Maybe I'm not picking up on the subtle ways he talks to me, but he always will talk to me. If I have a friend who's in pain, and they want God's peace, I can pray with them, and pray for the peace of God to come, and he will show up. They will be given peace, as a fact, 100%. If a person wants faith and I help them to pray to receive faith, God will show up every single time. I can approach the, the baggage and the wounds of my life because uh, in the end, if I work with the Lord and his people, I won't be alone. The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords will be there. The light of the world will illuminate his love to me in the midst of my suffering. I can, I can kick up my spiritual life a notch because it's going to be worth it. He has so many surprises. He is always with me. This is a theology of presence, and it invites us to, to look at the assumptions that we're holding on to, that we're not always aware of, that affect the way that we go forward with the Lord. If you find that maybe your spiritual life is just like a plane, just kind of going in circles, and you're not going to your destination, maybe there's some kind of assumption that we need to hold on to. Uh, I don't know how much you're, you're following Pope Francis, but... Um, there's an app called the Pope app that I have on my iPhone. And what's neat about him is he'll have like his daily homilies online, and, uh, which scares all of like the, 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 uh, the officials in Rome because they're like, what is he going to say next, you know? <laughs> but I recommend that you, you read his daily homilies. They're beautiful. And uh, one thing he says is that a, a litmus test, a sign that we are Christians, that we believe in a theology of presence are two things. Two things that, in the course of two years, I've seen grow in this, in this parish. The two things that I've seen um, this church grow in that has been uh, a great consolation for me and has inspired me to be a better Christian, a better man, has been joy and courage. Joy 
is the delight of being in the presence of the Lord. Courage is believing what he has to say, going forward and knowing he's always going to take care of us. Joy and courage. It's, uh, it's funny, I, I, I never really, I don't really share this with you too often, but I would say every, I don't know, every few weeks somebody comes up to me and says, I hear that the people at St. Patrick are amazing people, that something special is happening out in St. Patrick Catholic Church. You know, we're a small little church, you know, 20 minutes away from the Quad Cities, and yet people are looking in this direction for the light of the world. They're seeing, they're hearing about the joy and the courage of the people who are rooted in the presence of Jesus Christ. It's beautiful. When I go off to Israel, I'm going to remember you in my prayers. And um, every time that we receive Jesus present in the Holy Eucharist, we're united as a family to his presence, to him. And uh, every time I experience joy there, every time I experience moments of courage there, um, I'll be remembering you for your beautiful example, for the, the family that we have here. Not one ounce of me is thinking, i got to get away from these crazy people. <laughs> and I, I already miss you before I have even left. So let's continue on our journey. <laughs> they like that over there. <laughs> let's continue on our journey as people rooted in the presence of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.